Business owners are cluing into the fact that Bitcoin is here to stay, but its adoption is only about where internet adoption was in the mid-90s. In other words, there's still a ton of upside and opportunity. If you want to learn how other business owners and entrepreneurs are using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses so that you can too, stick around at the end of this episode to hear the trailer for my newest podcast, Business Bitcoinization. And now, on to today's episode. You're listening to the Life as Leadership podcast. Are you looking for motivation and encouragement on your path to becoming a better leader? If so, you've come to the right place. Keep listening to find a community of leaders committed to learning and taking action to improve their world. The Life as Leadership podcast, where leaders gather to grow together. Here's your host, Josh Friedemann. Hey, everyone. I'm glad you're here today. Today, we have a great interview for you. We have the author of The Scrum Fieldbook, a masterclass on accelerating performance, getting results, and defining the future. The author is J.J. Sutherland, and the book is going to be coming out October 1st. So if you're listening to this the day the episode is released, which is Monday, September 30th, the book is going to be coming out tomorrow. Now, I can almost guarantee you that if you are the leader of an organization or the leader of a team and you care about productivity, you're going to want this book in your repertoire. So we're going to be giving away a free signed copy of this book. All you need to do is send an email to community at lifeasleadership.com. Include in the subject line something like free book giveaway and include a sentence or two on what you found to be most valuable about today interview. Now we are going to have our usual discussion episode this upcoming Friday, but today we're just going to get straight into the interview. JJ Sutherland is the CEO of Scrum Incorporated, which is a consulting and training firm that uses Scrum to rapidly deliver results in companies across the globe. And if you're wondering what Scrum is, that is going to be answered in this interview. He is the author of the aforementioned Scrum Fieldbook and the co-author of Scrum, The Art of Doing Twice the Work in Half the Time, written with his father, Jeff Sutherland, who is the co-creator of Scrum. Previously, he was an award-winning correspondent, producer, and Baghdad bureau chief for NPR. He covered the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, the Arab Spring, and the aftermath of the 2011 tsunami in Japan. He has won DuPont, Peabody, Edward R. Murrow, and Lowell Thomas Awards for his work. Joining us from Washington, D.C., here is J.J. Sutherland. J.J., welcome to the podcast today. Thanks for having me. So you've moved from being a correspondent and producer on NPR to being the CEO of your organization, Scrum Incorporated. What was the transition like, and did you learn anything in your previous work that helps you today as CEO of Scrum? Uh, the transition w uh, took a few years. I mean, I didn't start out right when I left as CEO. I came on board and uh, worked on the book with my father and, and became CEO actually only last year, the beginning of last year. Um, as a journalist, you, what's funny about NPR being a nonprofit is I literally was not allowed to know where the money came from. Hmm. And as a CEO, you really want to know where the money sure. comes from. <laughs> um, but, you know, what I brought from one to the other is, first of all, speed is really important. Um, and, you know, you have to make decisions on limited information, but you have to be fast because in broadcasting, you know, at 4.06 and 29 seconds, a little red light goes off in Washington. If the host of All Things Considered doesn't have something to say, it's really bad. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, and this comes from working overseas, is respect. Because you really need to respect the people you're working with 
and they come with different backgrounds, different skill sets, different ways of thinking and valuing that rather than searching for people who think and act just like you do. I think that's really important. Um, I also uh, came to value teamwork because as a producer, uh, when I was doing that job, you know, you're never on the air. It's not, your name never goes anywhere, but you're just as important as the correspondent into getting the work done. And sort of what matters is the work getting done, not who gets credit, you know, hey, cheer the on. Uh, that's the other the thing. And then, you know, the big thing, and this is a big thing about being a leader, is you never know everything. And so you have to make these decisions with limited information, and you have to make them now. Because a good decision now, or just a decent one, is infinitely better than a perfect decision in two weeks. So what is Scrum? What do you mean when you use that term? And what is the impact that it can have on businesses, organization, people, the way we approach life? Scrum is a lightweight framework of organizing human effort. And it's based on decades and decades of research into uh, what is the best way for teams to work together. I mean, this research has gone back to World War II. And what it does is it tries to help teams focus, help teams get stuff done, help teams respond to change, and um, really deliver value quickly. Because what in the in the business world, in any world, is uh, really, the key thing you want is tight feedback loops. You want you want to get information quickly. And so, what Scrum allows you to do is, on a you know a weekly and even a daily basis, is you have hypotheses and you test them and you validate until you have validated learning by putting stuff on a regular basis in front of a customer, in front of a stakeholder, or in front of I mean, whoever's getting value from what you're yeah. doing. And Scrum sort of gets a team together, a cross-functional team, so. They don't have to have a lot of handoffs. They have all the skills on the team that they need to deliver value. Uh, and so because where things really break apart all the time is in handoffs from one team to another team. And that's where things really slow down. So the idea is that, you know, this a scrum team uh, can go from concept to cash without talking to anybody. So. Previously, before this interview started, we've already talked about your new book, The Scrum Field Book, and I'm hoping that you'll be able to speak into that. It, it seems like a continuation of the work that you've already been doing for a while, as well as a previous book you've already written called Scrum. H how does your new book connect with what you've already been doing and some of the writings you've already done as well? Scrum, The Art of Doing Twice the Work in Half the Time came out five years ago, almost five years exactly, September five years ago. And since then, uh, Scrum Inc. Uh, has been working with hundreds of companies. And so Scrum really originated in software development. That's where it came from in the, in the mid-90s. And But the companies we work with have been uh, oil and gas uh, like Schlumberger, um, they've been automotive, like Toyota, they've been, I work with some of the private space companies, I do works with banks, I do a lot of work with, you know, pharmaceutical companies and biotech and hospitals and stuff that has nothing to do with software development. And it uses the same framework to do it and I wanted to just tell the stories about how we were able to use uh, those stories to or they use those experiences to really help and transform companies. And the other thing I really wanted to do in the book is agile is a big buzzword right now. And 
it's, you know, everyone I meet is an agile consultant these days, but it has certain meanings. Scrum is a form of agile, but I really don't want agile and scrum to get a bad rap. I don't want them to be cheapened by bad experiences or done sloppily. So I actually wrote down um, exactly how Scrum Inc. does uh, an agile transformation of taking a, a traditional company and making them an agile company. This is a recipe book. You, you, I told you exactly how to do it. So I wanted to make sure that those ideas were out there in a way to say, no, rather than let it be bastardized. And you have just mentioned this term agile and I think most of us know what Agile means, but when you say it, you're really talking about more of a system, correct? Yes. So um, Agile comes from a meeting in 2001, Agile in terms of development, product development, okay, um, and how to organize a business. And what it was was uh, a bunch of consultants and business people and writers uh, got together and they said, you know, we're creating a new way of working. They're all going from about it with, with different you know, ways of lenses working out. There's some scrum people there. There's people from this thing called extreme programming and, you know, other, other and authors and, you know, thinkers. But what they came up over the course of two days was a statement of values. And those values are just four that uh, they value individuals and interactions over processes and tools. They value working product over comprehensive documentation. They value customer collaboration over contract negotiation, and they value responding to change over following a plan. That's it. That's what Agile is, right? And those are values. It's not a way of doing things. It's a way of thinking. Scrum is a way of operationalizing that, and it's by far the most popular way. It's like, you know, depending on what survey you read, between 65 to 75% of all Agile teams are Scrum teams. Hmm. And it's, it's really important for – because I run into a lot of leaders who you know, saw a TED Talk or you know, said this Agile thing. We're going to be an Agile organization. We're going to respond. We're able to do this. And I appreciate that. I think that's a great place to start. But how are you going to do it? Because it's one thing to say it. But really always the hard part is execution. That's the hard part. And what Scrum – is and what I describe in the book is in, in very simple terms how to get that execution piece. And so one of the helpful things in the book is that you have explained that Scrum can be understood in terms of a, a three-five-three system or process. Could you break that down for us to help us have a little bit more of a, a clearer picture of what this looks like within an organization? Sure. So in Scrum, there are three roles. There are five events, which, you know, meetings, but we call them events, and uh, three artifacts. So the three roles are there's what we call a product owner, but it could be a process owner. It could be a you know, business owner, whatever you want to call it. And they're responsible for creating uh, the first um, artifact in Scrum, the product backlog, which is just a long list of everything that possibly could go into a product. And it could be infinitely long and anyone can put anything on it. But the, what the product owner does is prioritize it. There are no top priorities in Scrum. There's only one. Because if you have more than one top priority, you don't have top priorities. Mm. And prior, priority is an interesting word because priorities, I did a Google Ngram search on this, uh, didn't become a word until the 1940s. Hmm. Because it's sort of nonsensical because priority comes from the Latin a priori. It becomes before. And having more than one is sort of nonsensical. And you also don't pluralize Latin root 
verbs by putting an S on the end. So the product owner is in charge of prioritizing and prioritizing by how much value uh, and uh, it's, it's going to deliver to the customer. And then the second role is a scrum master. And I know that's kind of an odd title, but uh, I actually <laughs> talked to my father who invented scrum to say, hey, do you think we could change that? It's like not too late. Embedded in the keeps culture. it kind of lighthearted as well. You can't take yeah. yourself too seriously whenever you're calling yourself the Scrum Master, right? <laughs> right, exactly. And their job is more like a coach. They're there to coach the team. They're there to coach the product owner. But most importantly, they are always looking at what is slowing this team down. What is the friction in the system that you know is stopping them from delivering value really, really quickly? Is it handoffs? Is it technology? Is it um, unclear backlog items? Is it, you know, whatever it is. And their job is to crush those and get rid of them. And so a good scrum master, while it's kind of an odd job to be paying people for, it's they can make the team, you know, four or five, six times as fast. Yeah. I think they pay for themselves almost overnight. And then finally, the most important role, of course, in scrum is that of the team member. And in scrum, teams are cross-functional. So I talked about uh, earlier and they um, also are self-managing and self-organizing. They decide how much work they're going to do in a time box and they describe, decide how they're going to do the work. The product owner owns what they're going to do, but the team owns how they're going to do it. So those are the three roles. And then there are five events. And in the first event, it's called sprint planning because a sprint uh, is how we organize time in Scrum. And it can be – technically, it can be anywhere from one to four weeks. But I like one-week sprints, but most people do two. But once you stick a length, you always stick with it because you want to get data out of that. So every week or two, uh, you have the sprint planning event. And in that event, the team and, uh, looks at that product – back that prioritized product backlog and says, okay, we are going to pull – what we think we can accomplish in the next sprint. Hmm. And, but it's their decision, not the product owners, not management's. It's their decision because you want it to be a pull system. And so then, but they pull it in and they say, okay, we um, are going to forecast. We're going to commit that we think we can get this done. And by done, it means done, done, completely and totally done. It could potentially be shipped or given to a customer or if it's just a piece of a product, it does not need to be revisited again because whatever, you know, I see this all the time in corporations where people are like, well, it's done. It's kind of done, but there's more work we have to do or it hasn't been tested. The quality isn't built in at the beginning. And all of a sudden things just take longer and longer and longer. And then the sort of the most famous, famous event in Scrum that many, many people do is the daily Scrum or daily stand-up. And that's just 15 minutes a day. All these things are time box. So if 15 minutes, so they start on time and they end on time. That's one of the scrum master's jobs is to make sure that these meetings don't go beyond their time box. And during that, the team, you know, they can say, you know, basically look at what they've accomplished and uh, so far what they've done since they last met and what they're planning to do. And so they can say, uh, hey, you know, we're working towards this goal, this sprint of getting this thing out. And this is what I've done. This is where I'm stuck. This is where I could use help. And they do it 15 minutes in a day. So 15 minutes, anyone can spare 15 minutes. Um, then the next, you know, sort of an ongoing process in Scrum event is uh, backlog, what we call backlog refinement, which is basically when people get things they need to do, requirements, they are often very vague. 
They don't know what they mean. And the team spends days going, well, product owner or you know, customer, what do you mean by this? Do you want this or do you want that? How do you want it done? And so in backlog refinement, uh, the team works with the product owner um, and says, okay, we're going to make this story ready. So they can just pick that story up or product backlog item and just say, we can execute on this immediately. We know exactly how we're going to do it, what it means, and we know we've estimated how hard it is to do. So we have some sort of sense of the amount of work. And then you go on. And then at the um, end of the sprint, you have what we call the sprint review. And that's where you show whatever you've created or what process you've done or you know, whatever it is with something of value to the customer or the stakeholder or you know, whoever's getting value from what you're doing. And then say, is this right? Now that you've seen this, is are we going in the right direction or are we going to need to change direction? And they get feedback from the customer, from the product owner on what they're doing. Because what you want to do is you know, no one actually knows what they want in a product. I mean, they can write thousands of pages of requirements documentation, but until they actually see it, they don't know. And with that feedback also, the product owner says, oh, given the feedback from uh, the customer, I can rearrange and reorder the product backlog because now I have more sense of what the items with the highest value actually are. Because when you first start a product, you're guessing what they are. But, you know, we know that Really, you know, it's the Pareto principle is really true. 80% of the values and 20% of the stuff. And when you start, you guess what that 20% of the stuff is. But if you're getting that rapid feedback loop, you can make get to the right 20% faster. Absolutely. And then uh, at the sort of last event in Scrum, it's called a sprint retrospective. Because if the sprint review is, or demo as it's often called, is uh, about what you're doing, the sprint retrospective is a, is a chance for the team to get together and look at how they're doing it. And they talk, you know, quite openly and honestly, of, hey, what went well during this past sprint? What could have gone better? And what are we going to change in our process or how we do things in the next sprint so we can get better? And that's where the idea of continuous improvement comes in. The teams are constantly trying to get better every single sprint. And then so the artifacts are the three artifacts, the product backlog. And that sprint backlog that the team pulled into the sprint. And the last artifact is what's called the product increment. Whatever they're showing the customer at the end. Here's a potentially shippable thing. We might not ship it, but here it is. All right, listeners, we just covered a whole lot right there. But look <laughs> in the show notes below to see the 353 Scrum system to give you a little more clarification if that was a lot because that is valuable stuff. Now, JJ, I'm wondering if you can give us some examples of people that you've either worked with in the past or just examples you can give of people who use the Scrum system well or people who didn't use the Scrum system and suffered because of it. So I work a lot with 3M. A lot. I mean, 3M is a gigantic corporation. I work with some of their divisions. Um, and in their health informatics uh, division, they, you know, take uh, big data from, you know, health reports and then sell it to insurance companies and then pack to hospitals to have, you know, really fine uh, public health information. And it's about, about a billion dollars, you know, 800,000 people. And they we started working with them uh, right after our last book came out. And one of the chapters in the book, in the Scrum Field book, is uh, about them. And they really were able to, over the past four years, and it's a journey, they're still working at it, to implement Scrum. And what it allowed them to do, they, <laughs> there, there was this, um, there, how you designate, there are these official numbers that designate 
why someone goes to a doctor, what injury or disease or condition that they need health care for. And in the, I think it was like ISO, whatever, the last version, there were like 10 or 15,000 of those codes. Okay. And then the, in the, and the one that just came out a few years ago, there are 150,000. Whoa. And they, and they had to update their stuff because this is how, you know, all these things. And these are crazy, like bitten by a duck or, you know, <laughs> you know uh, water skis catch on fire. Like really specific, but, you know, but important. And then uh, they had to do this and they were really worried because there was a deadline. Like, you know, the WHO was saying, here's the cutoff. And you got, and this is the international standard, and um, it happens on this date, no matter what. And so the first thing we did with um, 3MHIS uh, was work with them and put together, you know, five or ten scrum teams to do this because they were convinced they were not going to be able to make that deadline, which would cost them many, many millions of dollars. But having that rapid loop, that rapid feedback loop, the organization of the teams and having them be able to focus on just that rather than 15 other things, because everything, you know, when everything's top priority, everyone works on five things at once. And we all know that that's stupid, but we do it anyway. And so they were able to fix it and they got it. And there's a guy, uh, Dave Frazee, who was the CTO there. And he said, that's when he knew everything had to be scrum. And so now their entire engineering organization and, you know, the sales organization, the business side are all on scrum teams. Wow. Um, and they've done really, really well for themselves. Another one uh, that I know of is um, at Saab Aerospace. They're building a fighter plane called the Gripen. It's already, you know, they're selling it. It's already been built. And they use scrum to build from the ground up. And one of the things about Scrum is you have these teams that are contributing and what they were able to do with the Gripen is they decided, hey, we want things to be modular. So we want like the plane to be make, made like it's made out of Lego. So it's really easy to pull apart and put back together again. And so to do that, you need stable interfaces like those little dots on the Lego bricks. And so the cockpit team knew and was able to work out with the fuselage team, here's how the cockpit is going to drop into the plane. Here's how it's going to be attached. And this is, you know, the, the feeds in and out of it that we need. Now, as long as that doesn't change, the cockpit team can iterate and make the cockpit better and better and better. And the fuselage team can iterate as long as that interface doesn't change. Hmm. And they were able to deliver a plane very quickly and very cheaply. And I, I always say to people whenever they say, well, Scrum won't work here. And I was like, I... Mm, you know what? I don't think what you're doing is as complicated as building a fighter plane. <laughs> I mean, maybe no, no. I'm wrong. <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. Actually, I used to say that, and then someone called me, who uh, a company called me that makes nuclear submarines. Mm. I was like, okay, that's more complicated. They got the Trump card there, huh? <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, well, go, go ahead. Uh, I, I was going to give a, an example where I see it totally fail. Um, there was a, a company, a financial services company, really big one, you know, 30 or 40 billion in revenue. And they wanted me to come out because they had been, they had a regulatory issue that, you know, by January 1st of a certain year, they had to uh, have all this stuff done for a regulatory thing. Um, and so I came there, I guess it was probably, you know, May or something. And they said, assess, you know, how agile we are, how we're doing it. And I talked to um, one of the scrum masters and I said, so just, just out of curiosity, how, how many backlog items did your team get done last sprint? And he says, you know, about 18. I said, great. And how many are you going to, how many are you going to bring into the next sprint? He said 185. Whoa. And I said, but you're not going to get that done. And he said, well, management says we have to, to meet the deadline. 
And I said, okay, let me call you in two weeks and see what happens. I called him up and I said, how many did you get done? 18. How <laughs> many bring in next street? Next sprint, 186. And so I, I went to uh, the management of this company and I said, today you get to pick which customers you're going to lose rather than losing them all because it's simply not all going to get done. Mm. And just insisting that it's going to get done is a fantasy. And they're like, oh, what well, we have to do is like, it's not going to happen with the current teams you have and the current resources you have. It's not going to happen. So how do we minimize the damage? Yeah. And of course, they didn't ask me back when I told them they're driving their company off a cliff and they, uh, you know, they paid the price. Wow. Um, but, you know, so it's one of the things that I see quite a bit is you know, leadership says, well, we're going to do it. We're going to do it by this date. And dates are fine. I, I'm a big fan of dates. But if you set a hard date as a leader, you really need to get from your teams how much stuff can be done by that date. What's the scope that can be in it? Because there's only so much stuff people can do. And with Scrum, what's great, and we talk about this a lot in the field book, is that if it can't be done, you get that information early. So, I mean, if you, you know, Scrum, because you're constantly getting these short feedback loops, you can say, wow, the team's like, this is actually harder than we thought. It's going to take longer than we thought. Oh, it needs extra scope. It's going to take, it's going to be, you know, the dates are going to slip. Is that all right? Or do we need to reduce scope? But you get that every week or two rather than, and this is how I always see it, is you know, they'll go into places and they have projects and they're like, you know, they're always, you know, red, yellow, or green. And they're all green until about, you know, two weeks before they're supposed to be delivered and they all flip to red. Sure. <laughs> and so you, as a leader, you want to get information about is something going to fail as early as possible? Because that way you can do things, stakeholder management or change what you're doing or pivot. But if you wait too long and, and with traditional project management, people always wait too long. Well, JJ, thank you so much for sharing today. Is there anything else related to Scrum that we should know before we finish this part of the interview? So I think the keys to Scrum are prioritization, ruthless prioritization. You got to do that. Okay. It's delivering working product all the time. And with those tight feedback loops, it allows you to change and pivot based on events and market conditions or you know something, you know, natural disasters, whatever, because we live in a time of incredible technological change. And it's hard to even wrap our heads around how fast things are changing. And so we have to move beyond an idea that we're in a, an environment where it's stable or we're in a rapid change and then it will get better and stable. No, we're going to have to make our organizations able to thrive and welcome constant change because that's the way the world is. Well, JJ, thank you so much for sharing. Now, before we finish, I like to ask a few questions that are meant to inspire us toward better leadership. So you ready for this? Sure. All righty. What is some lesson saying or experience that continues to influence your leadership to this day? Uh, I would say not firing people quickly enough because I let someone because he was a nice guy. I liked him and I didn't deal with it when I should have. And as a result, it was worse both for him and for the organization. And so I've always remembered that, that don't let problems fester because they only get worse, whether it's a person, whether it's a process, whether it's an organizational thing, really jump on your problems as fast as you can. Because you know what? Firing people is the worst part about being a leader. Sure. But also that's why, you know, the hard problems get to you. 
Use three descriptors to finish this sentence. A leader is visionary, empathetic, and inspiring. What is a question that leaders should be asking either themselves or others? The one I've really learned is you should always be going around your organizations and ask people, hey, do you know what the strategy is uh, or what are the priorities? Because if you ask people that a lot, you'll realize that even though you think you've been clear about the strategy and the priorities, other people aren't because you have to repeat that stuff all the time. So check in with what people actually think your strategy is, not what you've told them because you have to repeat it over and over and over and over again. Now, in addition to the Scrum Field Book, which is coming out on October 1st, what book would you recommend to leaders? Well, I'm, I'm reading this book right now, which I find really interesting. It's by um, a professor named Nicholas Christakis. It's called Blueprint, The Evolutionary Origins of a Good Society. And what it talks about is how human groups have evolved to work together, have evolved to treat each other fairly, have evolved to have a common good. And in this time of really, you know, it's worse I've ever seen it, the you know, political and cultural polarization yep. that is around it, which, but, and it's a really interesting thing because it says, you know what, that's not the be all and end all. That really, as humans, we do want to be good to each other. It's not a dog eat dog world and it shouldn't be. And we can all be better and recognize how we can work together. Sure, there are going to be disagreements. I get that. But it's really interesting to sort of get this really historical evolutionary perspective on the base, sort of basic decency of human beings. Because, you know, I've been in a lot of places where there are some bad people out there. I've talked to them. But for the most part, there aren't bad people. There are bad systems. What's being rewarded? Why are they doing what they're doing? Why are they acting that way? And usually... It's because of the forces acting upon them, not because of some intrinsic flaw within them. If you could get every listener to start doing something this week to help them be a better leader, what would that thing be? Prioritize. Mm. Put everything you're doing up on a wall, everything you do, put them on, you know, get some post-it notes, put it on the wall and say, which one's the most important, which is the one I'm going to do next, next, next. And you cannot have two at the same. You have to do that. And finally, our arbitrary but insightful question, which is this. As a general life principle, is it better to ask why or why not? Why not, of course. Because you want new experiences. And people think, like, hey, let's try this. Why not? Because if you constantly, I mean, you know, whys are important, but you want to do things that are new that you don't know about. And you sort of like, ah, let's do it. Why not? <laughs> new experience. Well, JJ, thank you so much for your time today. Where can people go to buy the Scrum Field Book if they've liked what they've heard today and go to learn more about what you're doing at Scrum Inc.? Sure. You can go to um, our website, scruminc.com, S-C-R-U-M-I-N-C.com, and there's a page about the Scrum Field Book. Or you can just go to Amazon, Apple Books, Barnes & Noble, IndieBound. Um, they all have it. Um, and when it's released, it'll be in many, many bookstores when I urge you to pick up a copy and you can find me, um, on my Twitter handles at JJ Sutherland. That's letter J letter J S U T H E R L A N D. And you can also find me on LinkedIn at JJ Sutherland and please reach out and connect and uh, share your experiences with me. I'd love to hear them. All right, JJ, it's been a pleasure. Mine too.
Hey listeners, I hope you enjoyed that interview with JJ and learned a lot. Now remember, if you would like the opportunity for a chance to win a signed copy of JJ's book, The Scrum Field Book, a masterclass on accelerating performance, getting results, and defining the future, then all you need to do is send an email to community at lifeasleadership.com. Include in the subject line, free book giveaway, and include a sentence or two on what you thought was most valuable from the interview with JJ today. I hope you found today's interview valuable. We'll be back on Friday to discuss the interview and share some of our key takeaways with you. If you want to share some of your own thoughts on what you heard today, or if you want to leave other feedback for the show, email us at community at lifeasleadership.com. And if you think today's interview could be helpful to someone else who cares about becoming a better leader, go ahead and share it with them. Until next time, keep living and leading well. Hey, thanks for checking out this trailer for the Business Bitcoinization Show. My name is Josh Friedemann, and I'll be with you each episode interviewing business owners about how they're using Bitcoin to enrich their lives and grow their businesses. You might be wondering about the name, and I'll get to that in just a second. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about the show and who it's for. Unless you've lived under a rock for the last decade, you've heard of Bitcoin by now. And if you're like me, you heard about it a while ago, but didn't do anything about it until the last couple of years. Then one day, for whatever reason, it finally clicks. And after that, you enter the Bitcoin rabbit hole, as they say. And the deeper you get, the more you see the value of Bitcoin. But you know, maybe you're not there yet. Maybe you don't know much about Bitcoin, but are interested in learning more. Either way, this show can help you. Each episode will introduce you to an executive or entrepreneur who's using Bitcoin, the hardest money on planet Earth, to improve their life and their business. So, what's with the name? Well, it's a play on the term hyper-Bitcoinization, which is used to describe the eventual rapid adoption of Bitcoin as other currencies get weaker and weaker in relation to it. When you compare a seemingly never-ending supply of dollars to a hard cap of 21 million Bitcoin that will ever exist, it feels like only a matter of time until hyper-Bitcoinization happens. The good news is we have the opportunity to be on the front lines of creating a new and frankly better system. Whether you're already sold on Bitcoin and it feels like I'm preaching to the choir, or you're curious to learn more, business Bitcoinization will help you understand how you and your business can be prepared to take advantage of the massive productivity and wealth that Bitcoin will enable. If business Bitcoinization sounds like a show for you, go ahead and subscribe. Obviously, you can subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using right now or go to www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. Once again, that's www.bizbitshow.com slash listen. I'm looking forward to sharing more soon. And until then, keep living and leading well.